Welcome to the River Fellowship Podcast. This week, Lead Pastor Daryl Anderson takes us through Ephesians 3. Everyone loves a good treasure hunt, and often the treasure that is found is valuable. In Ephesians 3, Paul describes a treasure trove that is priceless. And in Christ, we have access to this treasure. If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org. Well, amen. We are in Ephesians chapter 3 this morning. We're continuing this look in Ephesians. I read this little quip this morning. Um, it was a kindergarten teacher was having her class of kindergartners draw pictures. And so while they were drawing, she was just walking around the classroom seeing what they were drawing. And she went to this one little girl and said, what are you doing? And she, without looking up, said, I'm drawing God. The teacher said, but nobody knows what God looks like. And without stopping and looking up, she said, well, they will in a minute. <laughs> Paul kind of does this in Ephesians chapter three. He's, he's given us a drawing, if you will. He's given us a picture, a word picture, that he continues to talk to us about this big picture of grace and love and power and this goodness that God is bestowing on us. Remember, these first few chapters are, are theological. The next three that we'll look at in the next several weeks are more practical how-to, but he continues to give us this word picture. He continues to pray. In Ephesians 3, he prays again for the believers in, Ephes in, in Ephesus. And he gives us some insight, or hoping really that we would gain some insight into what God has for us. So let's pick it up here in chapter 3, Verse four, Paul says, in reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations as, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, Paul here says in verse six that we are heirs of God. He says we're sharers together in a promise from God. Verse eight, he then speaks about unsearchable riches of Christ. And that word simply means incomprehensible. We have these unbelievable, incomprehensible riches of Christ. Then in verse 16, which we haven't read yet, he uses the term out of his glorious riches. So what Paul's trying to do here is, is give us a word picture of this glorious inheritance, all these riches that God has, and he wants us to understand what all that is. So since he's given us a word picture, I want to give us a word picture as well. Really what Paul is describing, in essence, is God has this treasure chest. So this is the treasure chest that we're going to look at this morning. And he's saying God has this treasure chest worth of some unsearchable treasures. Now all of us love a good story about a treasure hunt right? A lot of movies made about treasure hunts, a lot of books written about treasure hunts. 
We're captivated by good treasure hunt stories. I did some research this week and came across a, an article. It was something like seven um, biggest treasure trolls ever found. Some of the biggest treasures ever discovered. Not necessarily buried treasures or pirate treasures, but just treasures that were lost that were discovered. Th uh, three of these were estimated value of $4 million. One of the treasures found was estimated to be worth $120 million. Two of the treasures that they found were told to be priceless. They couldn't put a price on it. One of those treasures were discovered when they were demolishing a city in Poland. They, they got part of the, the treasure. They went to some other, demolished some other parts of the city, found some more parts of the treasure. Once they'd gathered all this treasure up, they found all kinds of silver coins, gold coins, all types of jewelry, a, a very unusual gold crown, just a variety of artifacts. They said they couldn't put a value on it because nothing really existed like this before. They found things that they had never seen before, never existed. They couldn't even put a price on it. The other treasure was one that divers discovered uh, in the harbor, Caesarea National Park in Israel. Divers found something on the seafloor, one little coin, thought it was just like, you know, kid, kid toy coin. But as they began to search, they found more and more coins. They found over 2,000 coins, all dating between the 10th and the 12th century. And they said this was so valuable that in essence, it's essentially priceless because it's so valuable and so rare. What we have here is an example of God's treasure chest. And what Paul's trying to communicate is what's in this treasure chest is priceless. There's not anything else like it. It's so valuable, we can't even put a price tag on it. So what Paul's saying here in Ephesians chapter three is I'm wanting you to understand this. I'm, I'm gonna share some of these riches. They're actually unsearchable, but I want you to understand what you have in Christ. So let's see what he says we have. Let's pick up here in chapter, uh, verse 12. Paul continues and says, in him or in Christ, and through faith in Christ, we may approach God with confidence, with freedom and confidence. I ask you therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ." and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So Paul's going to identify now for us some riches that we have in Christ. So let's take a look at some of them. The first rich that he talks about is what he defines as freedom. Look in verse 12. It says that we have access so that we would have access to approach God with freedom. Now, typically, when we hear the word freedom, we think uh, being loosed, uh, being set free, unshackled, untethered. Uh, we're no longer bound up. Scripture does have that definition of freedom. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. It's for freedom that Christ set us free. But this word here is a different word. This word literally means an openness or a boldness or a frankness. 
It means without any concealment, without any ambiguity. Now, what does all that mean? That simply means that I don't have to hide who I am to God. That God's now given me the opportunity to access him, to come to him, and I don't have to hide who I am. I don't have to conceal who I am. Remember, we've talked earlier in a different message that we've been received by grace. It's by grace that we're saved. We've already established that we're unworthy, we're undeserved. So God said it's through grace now that I receive you. When he sees us, he sees his son. So he understands where we are. So I don't have to hide who I am. And likewise, I don't have to hide where I am. If we were really honest with ourselves, there may be some of us this morning that we're just in a bad place. We're in a bad frame of mind. Maybe we're full of anger or full of bitterness or full of jealousy or insecurity. Maybe we're angry at God because things just aren't going the way that we think they ought to be going as a follower of Christ. But we're not in a good place. What this is saying is we can come to God and approach to God and we don't have to act like we're in a good place. We don't have to hide. We can come to him with total openness, total boldness, total frankness with exactly who I am and exactly what I'm going through. In other words, in Christ, we are free to disclose our real self. That's pretty good news because most of us have very few people that we can do that with. Most of us spend our time hiding ourselves because we don't want people to see the real us because we think, man, if people really knew what I was thinking and doing sometimes, they're not, they're not really gonna wanna be my friend. We're afraid of rejection. What Paul's saying here is we don't have to fear rejection from God. We have this freedom and this openness to approach him exactly the way we are. We don't have to hide anything. The real truth is we can't hide it from him anyway. <laughs> but we can come to him with this freedom. Why? He tags something else with it that gives us the ability to come to him with freedom and it's to come to him with confidence. Verse 12 says we can also be confident. This word means assurance. Here's what Paul's saying here. The reason I can approach God openly and honestly with exactly who I am and what I'm going through is because I have the assurance that he's going to accept me and love me and keep me. He'll never reject me. I could paraphrase this verse 12. I could say it this way if I paraphrased it. In Christ and through faith in Christ, we may come to God just as we are and be assured that he will not reject us or condemn us. Now, this should give us a great sense of peace, a great sense of security. It should give us a great ability to have authenticity, it should even make what other people think of us less significant and less important. To know that the creator of all things, the king of kings, receives me and accepts me just the way I am should give me a sense of freedom that I don't have to try to impress anyone because the king already receives me. But there's something that he adds to this now that he gets a little bit deeper. He says another part of these riches that we have is the Spirit's power. Look in verse 16. Paul prays, he says, that I pray that you may be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. Strengthened with power through the Spirit. What Paul's really talking about here is the concept of being Spirit-filled. 
and what that means. He mentions it again in chapter five, verse 18, when he says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So Paul here is introducing this dynamic of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit and what it does. Now, we're not gonna deal a lot with this. Uh, For sure, somewhere down the road, we're gonna do a series with the Spirit and we'll talk more about what that means. But let me say, this is what it means in a nutshell. Being filled with the Spirit of God is not about me getting more of the Spirit. It's about the Spirit getting more of me. Okay, the word picture of being Spirit-filled is not that I received Christ, but now I need to receive the Spirit. And so I have another experience where I receive the Spirit of God. That's not the word picture here. Neither is the word picture that I just got a part of the Holy Spirit. I just got his head or his hand, but I have to be filled with the Spirit, so I have to get more of the Spirit in me. That's not the picture of being filled with the Spirit. The picture is the Spirit gets more of me. In other words, when I give my life to Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God fills me and dwells me. I get every part and every bit of the Holy Spirit dwelling within me. Romans says, if we do not have the Spirit, we do not belong to Jesus Christ because it's the Spirit of Christ that's dwelling within us. So if we don't have the Spirit, we don't have Christ and we're not saved. So we get the Holy Spirit in us, but if we're not careful, we can just cram the Spirit into one part of our life. Scripture calls that grieving the Spirit and quenching the Spirit. He, he fully resides in us, but we've not given him any room to activate. So being Spirit-filled means the Spirit gets more and more of me. I call it the replacement strategy. This week I had to buy new tennis shoes. For some reason, I have tennis shoes that have a little mesh on the top, and for some reason, my big toe and my big toenail, it just, I don't know what I do or how I walk, but in a matter of weeks, I just dig big old holes right in the top of my tennis shoes. So I walk around for months with big holes in my tennis shoes. To top that off, last week I spilled paint all over the back of my leg and all over my shoes, so I had to get new tennis shoes. So I replaced them, why? Because I needed something new and better. It's a replacement strategy. That's the concept with the Holy Spirit. To be Spirit-filled means that I am constantly in this replacement strategy. In other words, I'm taking me, if I'm filled with myself, I'm taking more and more of me out and allowing the Spirit to have more and more control. In other words, instead of me controlling all of my actions and thoughts and lifestyle, the Holy Spirit now is getting more and more access to me. And as the Spirit is given more and more room in me, he gains more and more power over me, and the result is to be strengthened. That word strengthened means force, but the word picture is, is it's, it's um, immovable, in other words, it's, it's the ability to withstand outside pressure. Several years ago, it was like 30 years ago, I was mid-20s or something. Uh, I'd play, I was serving as youth pastor in a, in a church southeast of Dallas, and I'd play basketball with some of the high school guys there. Well, one day we were playing basketball with several of the guys uh, in an outside court at one of these guys' homes. He had a, a big court that kind of like three or four houses shared together, so this day, one of the dads came and played with us, and the dad was um, 41, 42, probably. Um, but he was a big dude. 
He played defensive end for Baylor University. He was 6'4 and a bunch of pounds. I don't know how many pounds, but he was a he was a big dude. And even though he was still in his early 40s, he was still in really good shape. He was still really strong. He was actually bigger than, he, than his playing weight. So we were on opposite teams. So I got to guard him and he got to guard me. So here's this little skinny 5'9 kid trying to guard this massive mountain. So I'm thinking, well, he's 42, you know. He's, he's old. <laughs> I'm mid-20s. So I'm just going to run around him. I'll just do my thing. After all, I'd played against a lot of big guys. No big deal. It was the craziest thing I'd ever seen. Never happened to me before. I would, when the shot would go up, I'd try to block him out and I'd try to push him back. I, couldn't, I could not budge him. I couldn't move him. It was like moving an oak tree. What made it more humiliating is he wasn't even trying. He was just standing there. <laughs> he wasn't trying to resist. He was just standing. He, I couldn't move him. I would try to, he'd block me and I'd try to get around him. I couldn't move him. He'd just take one step and he'd move like eight feet. That's how big he was. I couldn't get around him. It was the first time I had that experience of trying to move a mountain. Here's the idea of this word to be strengthened. What that means is we have the ability to resist outside pressure. And the reason is because there's more power in us than there is power outside of us. If we don't have the power in us, the outside pressure crushes us. But when we have more power in us, then we have the ability to withstand that outside pressure. So what he's praying is that we would be filled with the Spirit. We would have more con- he would have more control over us, more power in us, so that we can resist outside pressure. What kind of pressure is he talking about? Well, one is temptation. We'd have the ability to resist the temptation that Satan brings our way. It's really funny. I don't know if you've thought about it this way. But it's impossible to resist temptation in the flesh. (laughs) Because it's your flesh that wants to sin. So if you're trying to resist temptation in the flesh, you're going to be unsuccessful because it's your flesh that really wants to to give in to the temptation. The only way we can resist temptation is to be filled with the Spirit. Now the Spirit of God is strengthening us and giving us the, the ability to resist that temptation. The other is to endure tribulation. We all go through trials and tribulation. We all face those heavy-weighted times that begin to try to crush our spirit. And if we're not careful, we can find ourselves losing our peace, losing our joy, losing our faith, losing that commitment to continue to follow after Christ. And so what Paul is saying here is we'll... If we'll give the spirit control, we get this strength. And even in the midst of our darkest days and our hardest trials, we're able to maintain joy and peace and faith and our commitment to Christ because we understand there's something going on in the inside of us and these outside pressures don't crush us. Why does he pray for strength through the Holy Spirit? Verse 17, he tells us, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Here Paul paints another picture. He uses the word dwell. This really means to make one's home in. Talks about full accessibility, if you will. And here's the word picture. Denise and I are homeowners. We own our home. So when we're in our home, that's our home. So we do whatever we want to in our home. But we do also in invite guests into our home and we allow guests to be in our home. And they have partial access. They can come in the living room, sit around. They 
need something to drink, they can go into the refrigerator. If they have a restroom, they can use, whatever. But they don't have full access to our house. We don't want them laying in our bed. We don't want them going into our closet, going through our clothes. We don't want them in our filing cabinet, going through all of our personal private papers. They just have partial access, okay? But we're the homeowners, so we can go anywhere and do anything we want to. It would be really weird for me to say, Daryl, you own this home, but Daryl, you cannot go into your closet and look at those clothes. Daryl, you cannot go in. That's weird. The word picture here, though, is Paul is saying, I pray that Christ then would dwell. In other words, my heart would be Christ's home. In other words, I treat Christ as the homeowner and not the guest. And here's the weird part. He is the homeowner. If you are in Christ, he dwells in you through his spirit. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He resides in us. My heart, my life is his home. So it's weird to say, Jesus, you can't do this in your own house. So Paul is saying, really what I want you to have the image of is I want you to allow Jesus Christ to be the homeowner in your heart and in your life. Give him complete access, full access. The problem occurs when we treat Jesus like a guest in his own house. So Paul's saying, don't do that. So here's the connection here between these. The more access that we give to the Spirit, or I can say it this way, when I treat Christ as the homeowner, saying the same thing really just two different ways, when I do that, power is the result. The power of Christ the power of his spirit comes alive in us. It is manifest in us. It's manifest through us. That's why Paul prays that you would experience this power and you would allow the spirit to fill you and to control you. Really what he's talking about is the secret to power and the secret to power is surrender. We typically think the secret to power is dominance. I have to be strong and maybe in some circles it is. But in the spiritual realm, the secret to power is surrender. It's surrendering our heart and our life and our will to the Spirit of God in us, allowing Him full access and full reign in me. It's getting myself and my flesh out of the picture and allowing the Spirit to flood me and to fill me with His presence. But He's not through yet. He speaks of another part of the riches that we're just gonna call love. Look what he says in verses 17 and 18. Paul says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. He starts with this phrase, being rooted and established in love. What he's not saying is you need to be rooted in love. He's not saying you're not rooted in love, so you need to get rooted in love so that you can understand that love. That's not what Paul's praying. What Paul is actually praying here is you are rooted. He could say since you are rooted 
in love. And the concept here is that when we give our life to Christ and we're in Christ, we are rooted in love. We are rooted in his love. We have that stability and the security wrapped in his love. We're already rooted in love. He's using this illustration like a tree. We have a big mulberry tree in the back in our backyard, and it's one of those trees that a lot of the roots are above ground, so you can see part of the root system. And so in part of that tree, for, I don't know, six or eight feet, you can see the roots before they go into the ground. That makes a real stately-looking, pretty tree, but what it really allows you to do is just see these massive roots. And no wonder this tree is so strong and the wind doesn't destroy it when it blows because you can see the, the stability that these roots have given this tree. This is the imagery that Paul's trying to put in our mind, that when we're in Christ, God's love has already gripped us. It's already surrounded us. And we are rooted in love. So Paul's not praying that we would get rooted in love. He is praying that we would understand <laughs> that we are rooted in love and try to understand how deep and how significant this love is. That's why he says he gets kind of poetic. I pray that you would grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Really what he's saying here that God's love is so wide you can't get around it. And it's so long you can't outdistance it. It's so high you can't get over it. And it's so deep you can't go underneath it. In other words, you can't escape the love of God. When you're in Christ, you cannot escape the love of God. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter your frame of mind or the place that you're in. You can never escape the love of God. That sustains us. Now in verse 19, he says something that I think is kind of funny. You, you probably won't think it's funny. But he says, I want you to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Just think about that for a minute. I want you to know this, but it surpasses knowledge. I want you to know something, but you, know, you really can't know it. I want you to know this, but you're never going to know it. I want you to comprehend this, but it's beyond comprehensible. Co comprehension. It's unsearchable. It's incomprehensible. I really want you to grasp the depth of God's love, but you're never going to be able to. It's like grabbing a greased pig. You can keep trying, but it just ain't going to happen. That's really what he's saying here. But really what he's trying to get in our spirit is a lifelong pursuit of trying to uncover and discover how much he loves us. He puts this tag on the end of verse 19. He says, so that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Why does he want us to understand the depth of his love? It's because he truly wants us to experience God to the fullness of the measure of God's fullness. He wants us to experience him. By the way, that's one of the four tenets of our vision statement at River Fellowship. We want everyone to experience God, to exalt Christ, to embrace community, and to engage the world. It starts with experience God. And Paul is saying, I want you to experience God. I want you to experience his love. I want you to experience his grace. I want you to experience his power. I want you to experience his acceptance and his love. I don't want what you're doing and what we're doing simply to be some kind of rote, some type of legalistic 
practice, some type of duty that we go through, some type of mental mind game. I don't want it to be this dry, dead, wasteful, useless thing. I want you to experience God, everything that he has for you. That's Paul's prayer for us. But he doesn't stop there. He goes to verse 20 and he adds this tag. Let's look in verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Here's the word picture that I see Paul's trying to draw for us. He's itemized some of these riches. He's trying to say that God has these glorious riches. God has this treasure chest with these unsearchable riches. And so he itemizes and he tells us that includes freedom and confidence, the Spirit's power and love. But oh, by the way, he has immeasurably more than you can even think of. In other words, there's all this other stuff in here. It's as if God has this bottomless treasure chest. It's unsearchable. It's priceless. And there is so much stuff in here that Paul doesn't have the capability to even express to us what he has. This is a tip of the iceberg, in other words. God is so good. His his riches are so priceless, there's not anything like them anywhere else in existence. Paul's saying, I want you to understand that he has immeasurable riches for you. Why? Why does Paul want us to experience and understand and grasp these riches? Is it so we can just live a narcissistic lifestyle and just enjoy the goodness of God? Is it so we can have a self-righteous strut and say, hey, look at me, I'm in with God? No. What does he say here in verse 21? To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. It's all for his glory. It's all for his benefit. And here's the deal. When we fully understand the freedom that we have in Christ, when we fully understand the confidence we have because of Christ, when we fully understand and utilize and engage the Spirit of God and the power of the Spirit that resides in us, when we really grasp the love, how the depth of that love and how that frees us, when we really grasp that, it makes such a difference in us that people take notice and God is glorified because they say, if that is what God does in a person's life, I want some of that. And he is glorified. And it says to be glorified in the church and in Christ Jesus. God's already glorified in Christ Jesus. The part is, will we let God be glorified in the church? Will we be a church? Will we be a body? Will we be a people that is so in tune with the spirit of God and the power of God and a relationship with God that we're, that we're allowing him to do so much in us that it's making such a difference when we're out there in the world that people look at us and they can say, man, I don't know what's different about you. I don't know why you're at such peace. I don't know why you are so joyful I don't know how you can be like that, knowing what's going, I, I don't know. But whatever you have, I need some of that. What makes you so different? 
And that's our opportunity to say, it's all about God and about Christ. That's why he wants us to live like that, is for his glory and for his honor. So, here's the, here's the, here's the line. For your benefit, for the benefit of others that they see the work of Christ and for the glory of God. May we walk in freedom. May we walk in confidence. May we walk in the power of the Spirit, giving him more access to us. And may we walk in the love of Christ for us so that we can have the love of Christ for others. Would you bow with me? Allow the Spirit of God just to minister to you for a moment. Whatever piece of this word is for you, ask the Spirit to just be specific. That, that one nugget, just that one nugget. girl that drew that picture of God said well they're going to in a minute that's the image here of what Paul's really talking about we have the opportunity to let people see God but they see God in us that's the prayer that all these riches they're not just for us but they're for the glory of God. Father, we pray that you would speak in our hearts this morning. Translate this very specifically so that it speaks very specifically to each one of us here this morning. Whatever we need from you, may we receive it. Just a moment, we'll sing one last song of worship. We have some prayer partners available. This is your time to continue to let the Spirit speak. If you'd like to pray with someone, then we invite you to go and pray with them. They would love to pray with you, for you about anything going on in your life this morning. You may want to just worship and celebrate. You may want to just pray with yourself, but I just pray that you would allow the Spirit of God to continue to speak and move in your heart. Father, we are so thankful for this bottomless treasure chest you've given us full of the riches of everything that you are and everything that you have. Father, may we allow you to flood us with those so that when we go into the world, people see you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, or to hear more messages, go to rfamarillo.org. Thanks. Have a great week.